Um, uh, it has been a wonderful day. I pray that it's been a blessing for you all also as well. Um, this morning, as we started to think through Isaiah 43 and the new thing that God was doing and is doing and, and beckoning us to, to be a part of, the Lord has me now um, taking us, I think, this first evening into a quieter place, which after the debris that is here may be a good thing, and we're going to talk about finding rest for your soul. Finding rest for your soul. We're going to walk through uh, two important passages. We're going to walk through Psalm 23, uh, which I love, but we're also going to take a look at some other passages that um, I also love. So when we think about rest, I don't know, when you all close your eyes and you think about your happy place of rest, I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it is here amongst friends and family. This is my happy place uh, right here. Uh, no, that's not the right bad thing, guys. It, it's called finding rest for your soul. Hey, 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 poof. <laughs> Just thought I would try it or, you know. <laughs> okay, there it is. Okay. Show my pick my happy place, please, because we're going to go there. Oh, okay. This is the Montage Resort in Laguna Beach, California. Anyone ever been to Laguna Beach? Okay, can we just have a pause and just thank God for This is my happy place, but... Like most people, it's not realistic for me to go there regularly to rest. Not only is it not financially wise to go to Laguna Beach, but I don't have the time to do that. But nevertheless, when I think about my time there, I think about um, sitting in front of the blue water. I think about the quiet or the call of the ocean. There is something that happens when I'm able to shut out the noise and the chaos of life to be able to come away with the Lord or come away with my husband and just have unadulterated time where there are not so many things vying for my time. And in my prayer time, and in my prayer life as of late, the Lord has really been encouraging me by saying, you know, you can find the sweetest of places wherever I am. And I tend to forget that sometimes. I don't know about you all, but I tend to forget that my living room can be transformed into a quiet place with the Lord, even if there are clothes that are strewn all over or I'm stepping on my husband's work boots or whatever other things, that really what it is taking is the responsibility that I need to take to find rest for my soul lies in my ability and my willingness to slow down. And I'm preaching and talking to you about rest for your soul because this is one of those things that God has been teaching me. I don't rest well. Are there any others that do not rest well? I have found that for me, rest seems self-indulgent. Like rest needs to be after, like if I've got 103 degree temperature and I hit a wall, that's, that's God, my husband's like, that's, that's recovery, that's not rest. But I have always thought about rest being somehow self-indulgent. No one ever taught me how to rest. My parents weren't people who rested. There were five kids who they put through school, and they worked hard, and they came home and put dinner on the table, and then it was homework, and then it was off to bed. And it felt like I grew up in a home where we were perpetually exhausted. And so I never learned how to rest. I never learned how to really treasure being quiet before the Lord. And what that did in my own life, in full disclosure, is it started, I started to grow in a dependence upon myself and my own abilities. Until most recently, and I told some of you this when we had our small group, that um, 
that I started to take the reins away from God. I started to say, God, uh, you're not moving fast enough. I, you know, there's things to do. Naomi's 17. She's getting ready to go to school. We've got to pay for these things. And I just started getting in that Martha spirit of worry. And what I realized is that it was sapping my relationship of its strength and of its joy. And when I was spending time praying with the Lord, it was prayers of lament and prayers of exhaustion. Not because God was not there, but because I was not listening. I was on a plane recently on a one-day trip back and forth to Dallas, and I was exhausted after that day. I had had that cold. For any of the rest of you who've had that cold this year, I had that ridiculous, awful cold. And two days later, I was on this airplane, and so I had my eyes closed, and um, I'm sitting about the 20th row, and a woman comes walking up to me, and the closer she gets to me, she starts smiling, and I'm like, oh, please, God, like, I just don't want to have a conversation. I don't want to bring anybody to Christ on the plane. Uh, my mascara is running, like, so let me just like look like I'm doing something or confused. And she said, are you Laurel Punker? And I was like, dang, yes, I am. How are you? Oh, good. And she said... I heard you speak somewhere, and then you know you have to get your act together because you can't be. There's two things I've learned. I cannot look like a hag when I go out because inevitably there's a Bethel student somewhere, and they'll look at me like, Pastor Laurel, are you all right? Are you dying? I'm like, I just didn't put makeup on today. I'm okay. But they're like, you look really bad. So students are really good at busting me out, so I cannot look like a hag, even in Costco. And I cannot misbehave because when you spend your time ministering to other people, you've got to learn to take your own medicine, and when you don't, it's very obvious. And so she sat next to me, and she started recalling a message that I had given about relinquishing control and how much it had touched her. And as we spent the next two hours on the plane, God began to talk to me through this woman about my own behaviors. And I started to be convicted by my message that I had preached to this woman a year before. And this is what God spoke to me um, not only that night in my own whispering, in my own lament, in my own shame, but when I got home that next day to journal. So guys, if you put up that next slide, this is what God said to me. My I am is greater than your what if. Do you get that? I am is greater than your what if. I started to realize that uh, in my lack of rest and in my lack of depending upon the Lord, I started to not live a life of worship and dependency, but I started to live a life of what if. God, Naomi's going to start driving February 1st, and then I'm flying halfway around the world. What if something happens to her and I'm not here? What if something happens to the house? What if something happens to Bethel and I'm not there? I'm the campus pastor for Pete's sake, and I started to give God my list of what ifs. Maybe some of you have a list of what ifs, and we try to mask them as something else, but I had a list of what ifs, and God said, I am is greater than your what if. In other words, I am who am. The I am who delivered people out of Egypt. The I am that called you to be. The great I am who was and is and is to come is greater than all of your objections to the way that I am choosing to move in your life, and your misery is your own doing. And I felt so much conviction because I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to have it right. How many of you know, for those of us who are pastors, we don't, we, like doctors sometimes, my dad is a bio, you know, is a biostatistician and a cancer research scientist, worst patient in the world. 
he's like telling people which vein they ought to tap and stuff. And they're like, sir, could you just be quiet and lay down so we could do our job? Pastors, we don't always take our own medicine either. We can be really good at preaching to other people until the point of devastation sometimes in our own lives where we are forced to look at our own behaviors. And I felt so much shame, but guess what? I also felt so much relief because I couldn't put my finger on my discontent until God showed me it's your what ifs. The reality is, is every time you say what if, you are putting me in some corner. You are putting me below your own ability to move. You are taking me as the God of all creation, and you're putting me somewhere where you are causing me to be immobile, and you are allowing your fears to trump my greatness. And I couldn't argue with that. And so God began to work with me on a journey about really learning about what it is to rest even when it is counterintuitive for me. And I am telling you as my brothers and sisters, it is counterintuitive for me to rest. When I take a day off of work, I am usually doing laundry. If I go to Target, I'm saying, oh, I bet you the girls need a pair of tube socks. And oh, underwear is on sale, right? Anyone else, the Target shoppers that everybody mocks on? Yeah, that's me. And so God is teaching me to be still to unplug, and to find rest that he will only allow to satisfy me through him. No other thing, no other person, no other job, no other event, nothing else will satisfy me. He said, my I am, who I am, is greater than every single one of your objections. And somehow my own burdens became released, and God began to, began to walk me through Psalm 23. And so I want to take us there tonight in the time that we have, to be, I pray, encouraging to you as God encouraged me, rebuked me, and brought me back into a right place, I think a better place of relationship with him. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. There are scriptures that many of us have read all of our lives, and then there are sacred moments where God gets us alone, and it's not just us reading the scripture. He is reciting the scripture to our own soul. And when I read this, it so impacted my life. And God had to change my view on Psalm 23 a bit. Because the reality is, is I'm not a master at writing eulogies. I really prepare, prepare and prefer to speak about life among the living, which is why it's always been curious for me that Psalm 23 is most often recited at the passing of somebody, when somebody has died. We know that Psalm 23 was written by King David, who we know began his royal training in the fields with a crook and a tool 
and the sheep of his pasture as his subjects. David gives us a vivid picture of the heart of our own shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lives to love and protect the tender lives splayed before him amongst his own countryside. A master of protecting and caring for these simple creatures, David himself has come to a place of knowing through his own dark nights, through his own disobedience, through his own brokenness and his own restoration, as we talked about this morning, the importance of putting all of his trust and hope in the master shepherd. And he puts himself in the place of a sheep, learning not to position or experience himself, but to rely upon the Lord for his guidance and his protection. Let's walk through the psalm just briefly for a moment. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Wouldn't it be wonderful when we read those words that we would believe those words and speak those words? We have all that we need. When I read that, I have all that I need, it's not simply the physical things, but God is saying, you have all that you need. I am your protector from all threat. Now, do threatening things happen? Absolutely. But I have learned that when I have walked with the Lord, from time to time, he gives me the ability to see the things that he has protected me from. There are things that God has done in my life, and maybe some of you are like this, is that you've walked through some valleys and walked through some passages, and this morning I talked about the stones of remembrance, that sometimes we get so caught up in our own dark valleys, we forget about the things God has done for us, and so God says, hey, pick up a stone of remembrance, write down a journal passage, sing a song of praise, get your favorite scripture done in calligraphy, but remember what I have done for you in the goodness of my shepherding over you so that when the hard times come, you cannot say and will not say God is not good to me. And sometimes when we're in pain, we forget the goodness of God. And so God reminds me and has reminded me as I walked through these scriptures, I have protected you from threats. I have protected you from the mean words of people. I've protected you from your own negative plans. I've protected you from things that you could not see. Because I wanted you to know that even if you never look to me, how intensely I love you and how much I want to be involved with every area of your life. I'm not just your shepherd. A shepherd is not just somebody who walks behind a herd of sheep. Jesus is not just one who sits on high. He is one who wants to attend to every single thing that concerns us. He protects us from threats. He's also my nurturer if we let him. If we allow God to actually allow his word to speak to our souls, if I would be still, if I would recognize that I can turn any place that I am with God into a sanctuary and allow myself to be still enough for long enough, he will speak to my heart and he will nurture me. Sometimes nurturing comes when God tells us the things we don't necessarily want to hear, but we know it's good for us. Now, I grew up, so I'm in the 50-year-old. I was high-fiving Mike today because I'm in the 50-year-old club. I turned 50 last year. And I said, you know, Janet Jackson's 52 and just had her own kids, so, you know, 50 is the new 30, so we're good. Um, but I was thinking a little bit about that today and, and how God has nurtured and sustained me through lean times. He's our sustainer when things aren't going our ways. He's our corrector when we stray. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God who is our provider. 
And I speak those words regularly. Lord God, you are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God, my provider. As maybe one of those stones that I'm trying to put in my own heart to remind myself not only of the names of God, but the attributes of God. So that when I am in times of leanness, I can go back and the word of God comes forth more readily than my complaint. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is Jehovah Rohi, who is our shepherd. God desires so much to nurture us, to care for us, to love us. But it's hard to do that when we are the sheep that run away. And I have been one of those sheep that has run away. And so God has had to teach me the art of being still, even when every part of my flesh is crawling when I'm still. Because somehow I have equated busyness to, and productivity to being Christ-like. Anyone else ever been there? Productivity means I'm on it for the kingdom of God. I'm doing my thing. I'm busy. I'm exhausted at the end of the day. Yeah, Jesus, it's you and me. I am making it happen for the kingdom. Whatever you say, I'm doing it. He's like, yeah, no, girl, not so much. You need to have a seat. I'm like, okay. okay. thought I was on, but I guess not. So God is teaching me that. Next slide, guys. John chapter 10, 11, verse 11 through 11 and 15. You know this portion of scripture which I love as well I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep the hired man since he's not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming the wolf then snatches and scatters them this happens because he's a hired man and doesn't care about the sheep I am the good shepherd I know my own sheep and they know me as the father knows me and I am known by the father. What other portion of scripture sounds like that last piece? I am known by my father as they know me. The father knows me and I know the father. John 17. The very prayer that Jesus prayed for us before he left. He said that they would know that we are one. I and you and you and me and we in them God. That God is, that Jesus is saying here, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. In order for us to know God and to be known by him, there has to be intimacy. And too many of us don't know what intimacy with God is like. It scares people somehow to think about being known that closely by a God that we cannot see or touch. But God is saying, I am the good shepherd. And I want them to know my voice, and I want them to know my goodness, because when you know the counterfeit, you will also know the real. We've got some counterfeit leadership, not only that have, are, are in our communities, but some are in our churches. How many of you know that when you study the real, nobody ever tries to create a counterfeit bill? Everybody always wants to do that which is real. God is saying to us, know me, know my heart, know my voice. Know what I am like. Be that intimately acquainted with me. So that when the counterfeit, when the voice of the devil, when the hirelings come, you can say, that is not the voice of my God. When you have preachers standing before you preaching a word that is not coming from the word of God, you'll say, uh-uh. That is not God. And you will not be afraid to do so. You will not be afraid to remove yourself from the things that are spirits of confusion because you know the voice of your daddy. One of the first books that I read several years ago was a book called They Smell Like Sheep. Isn't that just a beautiful vision? They Smell Like Sheep. But it was a book about pastoral leadership. And it was talking about a shepherd. It is impossible if you are a shepherd and a good shepherd not to smell like sheep. 
You live with the sheep, sleep with the sheep, tend the sheep, shore the sheep. Everything that you do, you are so intimately acquainted with the sheep that you smell just like those sheep. It is a, a witness to the hands that you have had on, on those sheep. And that's what God is saying here in John 15. I want them to know me so intimately. I want the fragrance of your life, Laurel. I want the fragrance of your life, my children. I want you to smell like me, like worship, like praise. I want the fragrance of praise, the fragrance of being a child of God to be so on you. The people come near you and go, man, you smell good. What is that? It's Jesus. It's living a life that's free and unencumbered. It's a life that is of joy and a life full of purpose. God wants us to know the real from the counterfeit. And the only way that we can know the real from the counterfeit, particularly as things in our world become more chaotic, is to spend the time investing now in being still and knowing that he is God. Next slide, guys. Uh, what do you think about this picture? I saw this picture and I thought, okay, he has got to smell like sheep. <laughs> he has got, can you see this? This guy has like buried himself and camouflaged himself to look like the field. The sheep look super confused, don't they? Like, dude, what are, you, what are you doing, man? But the reality is this man sleeps in the field. This is a shepherd who sleeps in the field who protects his sheep. He takes his job seriously. He is not a nine-to-fiver. He doesn't just leave it to somebody else like, man, I'll see you tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. He's like, no, I'm going to sleep in this field, and I'm going to stay with them in the night watches when they are most vulnerable. It's one of the things I love about God is he stays with us in the night watches of seasons of our lives when we are most vulnerable. God loves us to that degree. It says in verse 2, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strengths. He guides me along right paths to bring honor to his name. Notice the operative phrases he lets he leads, he renews, he guides. He lets and he leads. It signifies an allowance for an exposure to an expanse which is wide with possibility. If you are anything like me, this can be one of the more challenging parts of this scripture. You see, the heart of the servant knows the need to rest. But I, we still struggle to do so. Sometimes it's because we find that joy and satisfaction that I talked about in our work. Sometimes it's because we struggle with the very concept. For me, I struggled simply because I was not willing to be still until I learned to study what it meant to rest and study, study Sabbath. There's a, a Greek word for rest, and it's called, uh, it's anapauo, is how you say that word. And it means to cause or to permit one to cease from any movement or labor in order to recover and collect our strength. That is rest, to recover and collect strength. Because how many of you know we cannot fight battles if we're exhausted? You can't fight for your children. You can't fight for your marriage. You can't go the extra mile. You can't volunteer at church. You can't do the things that deplete you from strength unless you are rested and collected. This word means to permit one to cease from any movement, being completely still, resting one's mind, so that God has time to recover and collect our strength. It means to give rest, to refresh, to give oneself rest, and to take rest. 
to actually do the work to put everything else aside to take rest. Many of you have done that this weekend. You had a lot of things. How many of you had things that you left at home that you know, man, I could be taking care of some other stuff right now, right? How many of you left some stuff at home and you're like, yep, as soon as I get back, yep, Monday evening, I'm going to be like on my computer and I'm going to be making things happen. This is probably one of the better things. Family Fest is probably one of the best things that has happened in some of our lives. I hope that Family Fest, one of the things it's teaching me is to rest. It is teaching me to actually be still because there's nowhere to go. There's either the lake or I've nowhere to go. So I just have to be still because there's nowhere to go. Um, but it's teaching me, <laughs> it is teaching me the joy of being still, of listening to laughter in the field, of seeing parents and their kids, of not allowing our jobs to take us away from smiling with our little ones, of seeing families eat together. There's so much I've learned already in just being here with you all about not only my need to rest, but the body's need to rest as well. Final word that it says is to keep quiet of calm and have patient expectations so that when we do rest, it is not for no reason that we are refueling so that we can re-engage the world. The master knows what it is that we need. He knows the importance of the rest for the believer. Guys, go to that next slide. The importance of the rest for the believer. This is one of my favorite quotes that I found about rest, and it's long, but I think it's important and it's potent because it helps, I think, to bring clearly what I'm talking about, and I hope that you hear this by Pastor Philip Hughes, and it says, the source of the Christian doctrine of rest is the rest of God himself, who after completing the work of creation in six days, rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Rest is not synonymous with inactivity. What God rested from was the work of creation. He continues constantly to be active, however, in providentially sustaining all that he has created in the work both of righteous judgment and gracious salvation. Consequently, all that a Christian rests from simply sets them free to be active ceaselessly and joyfully in the service of God, the creator and the redeemer. Wow, when I read that, that gave me a whole different perspective of rest, that the rest that God was asking me to take was not one of immobility. It was not one of like a parent sitting on a child that doesn't like to nap. Anyone had those kids where you had to lay on them and throw your leg over to get them to nap and you were asleep before they were and then they kind of shimmied underneath your leg and went and destroyed the house or did something? I had one of those. God is saying, I'm not going to throw my leg over you to try to make you be still. I want you to learn that the joy and the purposefulness of resting is for your own good so that you can understand what I am supplying in you and so that I can ultimately derive pleasure in my relationship with you and you can derive pleasure from your relationship with me. Rest is not inactivity. Rest is ceasing from the mental and emotional striving that we might be refueled so that we can have the proper passion to do what God has called us to do. And I said, yes, God, I can get with that. I had a wrong concept of rest, so I ran from it. But when I actually studied it out, God gave me the vision to see it for what it was. God said, I didn't make you a soldier in the army to be still, but even soldiers have to sleep back to back and get the courage that they need and get a little bit of rest so they can get back out in the game. If you do not rest, you make yourself vulnerable. And guess what? As leaders, 
we leave other people uncovered when we are not rested. We leave our children uncovered and our marriages uncovered and our churches uncovered when we are not rested. Because what happens when we are depleted of sleep and rest? Our judgment goes, our vision goes, our patience goes, everything that God has given us. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit goes when we are depleted of rest. So rest is not simply something that we need to do. It is something that we must do in order to continue to do the work of the kingdom. We must rest so that we can come back and do the things that God has called us to do. He knows what it is that we need. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus speaks to a gathered crowd that he's been instructing. And he's praying with passion and commitment. And he says, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. This was one of those scriptures that was difficult for me to understand. Lord, you're asking me to put down burdens, but then you're asking me to take on a yoke. But what God taught me, and I pray that he has also taught you as you've studied the word out, is there's a different kind of carrying of burdens when God is in it with you. When God is carrying the burdens of your life with you, they're so much lighter, even when they're harder. It doesn't mean the burdens don't exist. It means God is there with us, for us, moving us forward. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He is the master teacher. He is the good shepherd. He continues to walk with us and love us. And he desires that intimacy that I talked about with you this morning coming from Jeremiah 13. He wants us to be so close to him that we smell like him and he smells like us. That when we are actually calm enough and resting enough, he can actually do that examination that I talked about this morning so that he can do the renovation so we can get back in the game. Why am I telling you this tonight, and why am I tying these together? Guys, I have seen too many friends leave Christianity. I'm seeing people leave the church. I'm seeing people leave angry and burdened and sad and overwhelmed because they thought that the identity of being a Christian meant running until they were depleted of strength not being balanced in their approach to their faith so that they could do this for the long haul. Do you all know Jesus saved us so that we can do this for the long haul? Until he returns? Until the Vikings win on Sunday and we go home on Monday? Do you guys know God has put us in this for the long haul? And that means that even when things are difficult, God wants to give us the ability not only to hear his voice and know his voice, but to sound like him and smell like him, to constantly be renovated on the inside, to rest in him, so that when he who is also the general and captain of the heaven's armies calls our name, we are ready to go and we stand at attention and we are ready to do what he says do, even if it means that we do it to the end of this life. One of the things that encourages me so much, as hard as it may be, is I subscribe to a magazine called Voice of the Martyrs. And you've ever heard of Voice of the Martyrs? How many of you have never heard of Voice of the Martyrs? Voice of the Martyrs is an organization that began by a man named Richard Wombrand. Richard Wombrand was a pastor, he was a Romanian pastor who was imprisoned and tortured for Christ for 14 years. His wife was separated from him, his, children, his child was separated from him, but he never renounced his faith. All around the world, 
Right now, as we sit in comfort, people are, being su- are suffering for Christ. North Korea is the number one country in the world that is the most difficult, where persecution is the highest for Christians. There are thousands of North Koreans who are sitting in prison camps right now who literally died because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq, Colombia, parts of Mexico, these are places, Somalia, where it's incredibly difficult to be a Christian, where when you say the name of Jesus Christ, it is as if you were in the first century church where you say this and you've got an entire Roman Empire that is standing around watching you and that they have the power to take your very life. So Voice of the Martyrs, like Open Door, chronicles the life of Christians around the world who right now today, as the, dawn, the sun is dawning on another part of the world, are living moment to moment, breath to breath. Northern Nigeria is a place where hundreds and hundreds of Christians have lost their lives. Because you have Boko Haram and you have other groups who are literally driving cars into churches to kill the saints of Almighty God. And so I read that magazine so that I can recognize that my primary relationship with God is not about comfort. That the comfort that we experience here in the United States of America is a blessing, but it is not what believers around the world regularly experience. Do you realize how fortunate we are? Do you realize how fortunate we are that we can have this word wide open? That there's nobody really looking in windows, but then again, we don't know those things. Why do I say that? Because God is saying, stay awake. God is saying, don't get comfortable in your American life. Don't get so comfortable that you can't recognize my voice because of your own comforts. I want you to be ready to stand at attention to do what I call you to do. Some of us, were talking about the challenges that we're having in our schools. We're talking about our public schools where many of our kids are, where they're having a hard time talking about Jesus Christ. How many of you are seeing that? That our public schools are being taken over. What if God is calling you to sit on that committee because he wants you to be the one to start a revival? What if it's you? We cannot be more afraid of people than we are of God. We have got to have an awe of God that says, you know what? If the worst thing you do to me is call me a name, guess what? I'll take it. Because in Syria, people are beheaded for the cause of Christ. If it means I'm uncomfortable, if it means that my kid may be unpopular, I'm willing to take that. Because if I don't do it today, if I'm not in the army today, what's going to be there for the next kid tomorrow? When we are a family in Jesus Christ, it's not just about those that we love. It's about all of us. You are my brothers and sisters in Christ. I have a responsibility to you. How I live ought to matter to you, and how you live ought to matter to me. We are in this together. You and me for the long haul. How many of you are in this for the long haul? How many of you are like, um, we're not in it? We're locking the doors. You're going to be in it for the long haul. You're not going anywhere. Security, yeah, lock the doors. We need to be in this for the long haul. And so we've got to rest as a means of listening and hearing the voice of the shepherds that we can do what he wants us to do. 
Entering into God's rest is not about a temporary ceasing from work and labors. Entering into the rest of God is about living one's life from a place of divine provision and purpose. Like John the Baptist, who was fed with locusts and wild honey. Like Elijah, who was fed by the crows. There are times when God wants to download in us a supernatural provision that can only come when we are hearing his voice. Being resting with God is receiving our vision, our wisdom from God, and looking to Jesus to provide for the deepest needs that we have while lying along in the interior lives of our being. Notice that Christ said, come to me and I will give you rest. This indicates that he will not simply provide a place of rest as a good shepherd will, but that he himself will place within our grasp the kind of life which calls us to linger and abide in a place of perpetual peace and wholeness, even in the midst of the storm. How many of you remember the scripture? We've read it so many times about the disciples who are in the storm and Jesus is in the boat and they are completely freaking out. And Jesus has his head on a pillow and he is resting. And they go and go, Jesus. And wake up, dude, we're taking on water. We're like shoveling the water out. Don't you care that we died? He's like, do you all realize if I'm in the boat, we're not dying? Did it ever occur to you that I'm not going to just sleep my way to the bottom of the sea because I am God and I know it's at the bottom of the sea? Did it ever occur to you that where I am is perpetual peace? Even in the midst of the storm. God is showing me that, that where he is, even when the storms are raging, that he with me, who is the captain of my ship, who is the shepherd of my life, will allow me to stand in the midst of it, and he will allow me to have the courage to do what is necessary. Amen? He is giving us the courage to do what is necessary. Psalm 23, 4 says that even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. This has been one of the biggest prayers of my life. Lord, I do not want to fear danger. I wish I could say that fear has never been an issue in my life. Anyone else ever deal with fear or worry? How many of you have said it's, it's debilitating almost? Fear and worry. And Satan loves to cause us to fear or worry. But this word tells me even when I walk through the darkest valley, when I cannot see, when I do not know the outcome, Lord God, when I am not in control, I will fear no danger. I will not fear repercussion. I will not fear what happens because you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That rod and that staff, those are the tools that the shepherd has, not only to pull the sheep out of the way, but they are also those things that the shepherd uses to beat back those things that would try to harm the shepherd, the, the sheep. They are also the thing that is used by wolves to try to impale them, to knock them away. The sheep's job is to stay within ear range, within eye shot of the shepherd. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. How do we walk this out, friends? How do we walk this out? Again, we see the metaphor of a shepherd used beautifully as David describes those dusky hours of our lives, of the soul when the wolves come out to devour and dissuade us from our devotion to our shepherd. Sheep by nature are wandering creatures. How many times have we heard that? Sheep by nature are wandering creatures more than they ought to be. And when they have devoured the green pasture in which they've restored for, rested for some time, they've got to move even if ever so slightly to the next place where sustenance can be found. 
And in the valleys, which seem ever so lovely and tranquil during the day, we can also find the yellow eyes of the prowler at night looking to sneak in past our shepherd to get to the places of our weakness. Thank God for the shepherd who can sense as we can the presence of the enemy as he has taught us to cry out to him when we are afraid that his rod and his staff can comfort us. Now I'm going to date myself, and I'm going to talk about an amazing guy who I think in some way personifies in a very different way what it is like to be so in tune with the voice of God and in this way, so in tune with his surroundings that he was able to determine how to fight his battles even if there were people behind him. That man was named Bruce Lee. I grew up watching Bruce Lee. Anyone else grow up watching Bruce Lee? Yeah, the dude was bad. Jackie Chan has nothing on Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee was the man, only about five foot two, maybe 120 pounds soaking wet. But how many of you remember a fight scene with Bruce Lee? Bruce Lee inevitably had somebody always behind him, right? And he would kind of do this slow motion thing, right? And then he would start to clench and he would start to shake and you could see his bangs were like, right? And he would start to get all, he would start to get all foaming at the mouth. But what I loved about Bruce Lee is that he had a moment of being centered and he, even when he was surrounded, now we know it's the movies, but even when he was surrounded, he never flinched. He never failed. He was aware that things were coming from the back and from the front and from the side, but he still was able. He was so in tune with his training, with how he had been trained, that he knew when someone was coming behind him. He knew when to turn. He knew when to strike. He knew what direction to go in. That was my man. That was my dude right there. I will never be as fast as Bruce Lee. I'll never be as small as Bruce Lee. I will never weigh 120 pounds ever again, except after birth. And so... One of the things I love about Bruce Lee and one of the things that I always used to watch was the physical training and the spiritual training allowed him to fight and not be afraid. I loved that about him. So that we can learn the same thing from a spiritual perspective. That even when it feels like we're surrounded by all kinds of danger, when we are in tune with the master, we know which way to turn and we know what to do. We know when to retreat and we know when to strike. God wants us to see ourselves not simply as his children, but as soldiers that he is preparing as well. It says, finally, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil, and my cup overflows with blessings. W. Philip Keller's book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Any of you ever read that book? Old book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Chapter 10, in chapter 10, Pastor Keller teaches on anointing from the perspective of a shepherd. So often, and rightfully so, Anointing is primarily understood from its biblical purpose, which relates to the selection and sanctification of those things which pertain to the service of the Lord. And I love that idea that the anointing, when someone was anointed, when Saul was anointed, it was in service to Almighty God. Anointing signifies holiness. It signifies divinity. It signifies God's seal and destination of honor onto that which the anointing oil itself is being pursued and poured. It is the purest form of finest oil from the fruit of olives as is applied. The fragrance added to the oil coming from the spices such as myrrh, 
used in the temple ceremony lifts up a pleasing perfume to the Father and signifies additionally that the totality of this person or object would be used willingly and joyfully in the service of the creator and sustainer of all things. You anoint my head with oil. God is saying here, we're saying you anoint my head with oil. I mark you for my own service. I mark you as anointed. I mark you as one who is mine. I mark you as one for who the royalty and the seal of almighty God is upon. That's so powerful. Pastor Keller shares with us a more practical perspective anointing, one that we can apply to this idea of shepherds and sheep. Here he shares with us the seasonal challenges that face the sheep, from flying insects which seeks to infect and drive to madness, to changing of seasons where rams use their heads as battering rams to fight with one another and win the affection of ewes, to weather pattern changes which can cause sheep to become frigid and weak. When they are anointed, when it is salve is put in their eyes, it allows them to remain healthy so that they can stay and keep up with the shepherd. God desires to anoint us with oil, with an anointing balm which when applied to us would keep us whole and healthy and in his presence. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Without a doubt, my friends, without any hesitation, without restriction, God's unfailing love will pursue you all of the days of your life. He has made his house your habitation and the place where your heart will safely find rest. Guys, friends, God is calling me God is calling you to lay down our objections and lay down our worries and lay down those things which cause us to be drawn away and enticed and away from his voice. He is calling us to lay those things down. He is calling us to a place of rest. He's calling us to a place of taking on his mantle and his yoke. He's calling us to a place where he said, if you will hear my voice, you will never follow a stranger's voice, and you will know my voice, and you will know my fragrance, and you will in turn have the fragrance of a holy and sanctified life. And even when things are difficult, I will be with you, and I will walk with you, and I will nurture you, and I will train you, and I will never leave you. And I will be with you in this so that when I call your name and call you to be ready, you will be ready without hesitation, for you have rested and you have been prepared to hear my voice. God is calling us, as I believe he's calling me, to find rest for our souls, our minds, our wills, and our emotions. For many of you, this weekend is not simply about your physical rest. It's also about your spiritual rest. I pray that many of you will use that prayer space in the back and that you will unload off of your own two shoulders some of the very things which God called me to unload when he spoke to me through a woman I did not know on an airplane coming back from Dallas. I pray that you will allow God to do some things in you, to unhinge you, to allow you to rest and enjoy not simply the beauty and the wonder of his creation, but the beauty of his voice and the joy that comes from the nearness of his very presence. As we prepare to go into small groups, I've prepared a few questions for you as well. Um, God desires for us to learn to rest emotionally and physically, but more so spiritually. What are the major sources of your unrest? What are the major sources of your unrest? Is it tight money? 
Is it the inability to figure out what's happening in your own family tomorrow? Is it stressful relationships? What is at the center of your unrest? How many of you would say honestly, yep, I got some unrest in my life? I got some unrest, and I need to deal with my unrest. I want you to ask yourself in your small groups and talk about it. What's the source of your unrest? Was it an issue of control like mine was? Whatever that is, I want you to be honest with yourself and with God and perhaps with those who are in that group. What is the source of your unrest? I've just given you two. And then what does your life look like? What are your behaviors and your actions and your attitudes like when you are rested? When you are at your best and when you are rested, what does your life look like? And then who benefits around you when you are rested and you are at your best? Sometimes when we answer those questions honestly, it gives us the ability to go back and to recalibrate so that we can be ready for the things that God has for us.